0: pray and ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, God, that you would guide them today. And for all of us that are here, whatever we're feeling, we just leave um, those to you and pray that you would meet us and guide us and help us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever had this kind of experience? You know, I was um, up in the upstairs bedroom one day, and all of a sudden I realized I needed a wrench. And so I went down the first flight of stairs and around the little landing and then down the second because the wrenches are all in the basement. And as soon as I got to the basement, I stopped, and I couldn't remember what I came down for. Now, I can tell that's never happened, right? And if it has, you're not going to admit it because you don't remember, right? So it's interesting, you know. comedians and different people have said well actually what happens is as you get older you know your memory sort of moves from here and it sort of goes south a little bit and so of course what happened was i went back upstairs the two flights and i sat down and all of a sudden i remembered what i had gone for right so somehow our memories you know linked to our sitting or something like that or You know, sometimes people will say, "Well, what you do—the way to combat this stuff—is just write things down." You know, write things down; that'll that'll take care of everything. In fact, there was a couple that had been to a seminar on memory, and they were told by the counselors there, "You know, write everything down." And so, one day after they got back from the seminar, um, the uh, husband turned to the wife and he said to her, "Hey, can I get you anything?" And she said, "Yes, I'd like a peanut butter sandwich and a and a." a glass of milk and he said okay and he started to walk away and she said wait 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 aren't you gonna write it down and he said it's just a sandwich I can remember that right and so he took off and he went and about a half hour later he came back and he handed her a plate of eggs and sausage and she said to him ah oh, I told you to write it down I mean after all look you forgot the orange juice <laughs> right So we've all been in these kinds of situations, right? Like, have you ever been in a meeting where they went way off agenda, and you're sort of sitting there, and you're trying to be nice, but you're really thinking, hey, we're off agenda. Get back to the agenda, right? And I think it's frustrating when we're not in line with the purpose of why we're at some place, or we're not in line with God's purposes for us. This becomes really complicated when it gets to a whole discussion about the church, because if you ask any five people why the church exists, you'll probably get five different answers. And from time to time, we need to be reminded why we're here, we need to be reminded what we're doing, and we need to be reminded that God is actually in our midst and that nothing surprises God. God's way ahead of us on everything and knows exactly what's going on. There's a lot of different descriptive passages in the New Testament, but the one that t- described the church, but the one that I return to you over and over and over again when I really want to get a glimpse of what the church is about is actually Acts chapter 2. It's almost like Luke, who's the writer of Acts, is writing us a note to remind us what it means to be the church. And you know what? Our memories need that as well. So today what I want to do is think about together about what are the signs of a healthy, vibrant, thriving church? And so we're going to work through the second chapter of Acts, starting with verse 41 through 47, And, and I want to give a little bit of a background piece, because one of the things that's happened is the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the people of God, and so there's this amazing time of growth. People were seeing that God was in these people, trying to figure that out. And then all of a sudden, Peter stands up in the midst of this assembly of people and he begins to preach a sermon. And it's a powerful sermon that leads to many people believing and then also getting baptized. So, picking up with Acts chapter 2, verse 41, I'm going to read through 47, follow along um, as we go. So, those who welcomed his message, being Peter's message, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they spent much time together in the temple And they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So Acts 2 paints this picture of what the early church was like. And it also paints a picture of how it was that they impacted the people that were around them as they spread this good news. They were God's new community that was brought to life by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you see, that was the decisive event, that Christ rose from the dead, and in doing that, he launched the fact that the kingdom of heaven had now come to earth, and that we could be a part of that kingdom. It was seen in the life and ministry of all these people. There was a new way of life, There was a new way to forgive. There was a new living out the reality of what community was meant to be. They were all following Jesus, but they were also inviting others to come along and to experience that as well. Somebody said this once about the book of Acts. They said that one way you could actually entitle the book of Acts is to say that it's the continuing ministry of Jesus through his followers. And I think that's fair to say because now we see it as the apostles and everybody else begins to move out and actually bring other people in. In fact, it's a movement that's so new that it doesn't even really have a name yet. I mean, um, they're called believers sometimes. There's another place where they're called followers of the way. Um, It's not until later that they'll actually be titled the church, which means those who are called out. And they went from, you know, 12 after a while to um, a little bit later, 120. We know that Jesus sends out 120 disciples at one point. And then all of a sudden, there's this influx of new people, 3,000 new believers in one day. And so all of a sudden now they're at 3,120. I mean, this, this church is growing and it's impacting and things are happening. And yet every person that was added to that church counted Every person that was added to that church had a name. Every person that was added to that church had a story. And every person that was added to that church also had a purpose, a God-given purpose. It was the new community, this community of believers that were growing together. They were learning. They were teaching. They were learning this new way of living. They were demonstrating in their lives all that Jesus did and said. And here they are in community. They had this new sense of partnership with each other. Um, they were not by themselves. They shared together. Everyone was active. There was no one who was just watching what was going on, but rather they were actually involved in what was going on. They prayed together, they ate together, worshiped together. And you can sort of feel the energy, can't you, of what's happening in that church? It's exciting. And they devoted themselves to all these things, and we'll look at that in more detail. But this idea in the Greek of devoting meant that they strengthened themselves in certain things. There were certain things that they pursued with all of their energy to make sure that those things happened. Will Williman, um, uh, who used to be a chaplain at Duke University, in his book, Resident Aliens*, said this. He said, through the teaching, support, sacrifice, worship, and commitment of the church... Utterly ordinary people are enabled to do extraordinary, even heroic acts, not on the basis of their own gifts and abilities, but rather on being united in community. The church enables us to be better people than we could have been if left to our own devices. That's a true statement. The church enables us to be better people than we would be on our own. And so they devoted themselves to this gathering of community, and in doing that, God added to their number, and they felt a sense of awe. It was interesting because they were now actually living out the words of Jesus. Um, He had said to them, um, they were starting to make sense to them. Every time that they actually gave of themselves, they received more than they gave. Every time that they moved their focus to others, they found out that their own needs were met as well. And the more they served, the more joy they experienced. So the words of Jesus were becoming true in them. He had talked about this whole idea of life, right? And we know in John 10.10 that... He talked about this real and sort of eternal kind of life that was available to all. It was a kind of abundant life that was actually a life that sort of bubbled up and bubbled over. It was a a life that overflowed with God's love and care. And he was making it clear that when somebody enters into this relationship with Jesus Christ, they step from their old life into this new way of life, and they walk now into God's kingdom to be a part of what God wants to do in the world through us. So I want to think a little bit about, you know, this whole idea of real life. What does that look like? Well, Jesus would have defined it this way. He would have said that actually real life is first of all, a relationship with God. But the second part about real life is also a relationship with the people of God. God designed us, made us in God's image so that we would desire relationship and we'd be invited into relationship with God and that also propels us then into relationship with other believers where we find community and we care about each other. If you were to go back through Acts chapter 2 again, the passage I just read, um, it's interesting because there's all kinds of places in that passage where there's the word everyone or all or all things or all people. It says it over and over again. There's, there's this sense that when they're together that these things are happening to all of them. They're all experiencing it. There's a combination of sort of the small group gathering as well as the large group gathering. They're building relationships. They knew that they needed Jesus, but they also were learning that they needed each other. It was a community that was deep and rich, a fellowship together. It was organic, missional, formative. It was full of people that were broken, unfinished, but those that were passionate following Jesus. And the words of Hebrews 10 was actually, were actually sort of in the back of their mind. Hebrews, written somewhere around the same time as Luke, somewhere in relationship to that, where the writer had said this, and let, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not meeting, excuse me, not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so God was calling them to be together, to be community, to do things together. So we find in Acts chapter 2 what I think is a pretty healthy model of what biblical, biblical community is really supposed to look like. And I, I want to uh, sort of go into that for a second and actually ask if Elmer will put up the slide. And I want us to think a little bit about what does it mean now to be in this relationship? What does it mean to be the church together? And the thing is is that for all of us, we are better when we're together. We can't do it alone. Um, but even with that, we have to learn about what does it mean to be the church. And so the church had these different aspects of community that were really important. They met together um, in worship. The scripture says that they experienced a sense of awe, like. There was all these miraculous things that were be, being done, and they found themselves always being in awe of what it was that God was up to, how God was working and, and bringing them together. Uh, for us, as the people of God, the awe sort of falls into the worship area. Like, we develop worship here because we want people to connect with God. We, we want to be able to come together to be thankful for all that God's doing in our midst and realize that God is calling us into relationship together. And even in worship, the thing that we really acknowledge is that it's not about us at all. It's all about God. Like, everything that we have, we owe to this God who has given his life so that we can have life. And so that awe is something that they experienced, and it, and it drove them into their houses to worship together. It drove them into the temple to worship together. But there's another part of this, and that is discipleship. I'm skipping around a little bit, but um, there was also this growing sense of their spiritual life. Whereas before they didn't know God, now they know God. And so they're trying to live into this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple? And you know, the easiest way to define a disciple is a disciple is simply, in the New Testament, it's a learner. They're a learner. They're somebody who's trying to learn what it means to follow Christ. And so they were in the midst of that, growing spiritually. Uh, They also had a sense, I'm going over to the next part over here, of ministry together. They were learning what it meant to serve others, as Christ had served them. And so when we actually gather, one of the things that happens is that people minister to each other. You know, we often say this as true that um, your presence is important here because one of the things that happens when you come is that God shows up in you to actually minister to the larger body. God cares about this and is involved in it. And so as we have an opportunity to minister to each other, We have a chance to actually uh, put to use our gifts of compassion, but also our spiritual gifts that God's given us to encourage each other, to build each other up. They also had a sense of community and fellowship, and uh, we'll come back to that. We're going to spend a little bit of time on that today, but there was a sense of belonging. Um, They knew they were there to actually love and care for each other, and Acts is very, very plain about the fact that they gave to everybody whatever their need was. They, they met the needs together. And then the last part of this sort of healthy church paradigm is that it also includes evangelism because, you see, we've been given this good news message that we can't help but share with those that we know need to hear it. They were encouraging and reaching out to their neighbors in love to share with them the fact that they matter to God. In fact, all people matter to God. And so they were being the church together. So if this is a sort of the paradigm of the healthy church, here's sort of a reflective question for you. Is there one area of this in your life that maybe you're neglecting right now? I mean, it's always good to think about that, right? To think about how are you connected? Are you in places where you're growing and being discipled? Are you experiencing Fellowship. Maybe, maybe today one of the things that would be helpful for you is that you need to take the back of the bulletin and say, hey, I really want to be in a small group community. I'd like to be in a place where I'm growing with other Christians. Um, how about the evangelism piece? That's tough sometimes, right? How are we sharing what we've experienced from Christ with those who are around us, our neighbors, our friends, even here in our community? Um, how about the ministry? Are you involved in serving? You know, one of the th- ways we grow the most is when we serve. There's nothing like have to do something you're not that comfortable with that actually helps you to grow, but it's one of those places where we learn to really de- um, depend on God. Here at CLC, we sort of put it this way. We say that God's given us three areas of talent. There's sort of three treasures that God's entrusted us with, and the first is that we're working at building excitement. You know, we are trying to put together really um, great worship services where when you come you're going to hear the word preached, you're going to hear um, you're going to know that God's lifted up and you're going to have a chance to actually be in awe of this God that we worship. And again, worship has that way of saying, I'm not God but God is God and God deserves my worship. Um, The other thing we're working at is we're working at building foundations. This is the whole sort of spiritual growth aspect of things. We want everybody to be connected. We want you to grow. Like Um, Coming to know Christ means that we enter into a lifelong relationship where we're growing to become more like Jesus in all the things that we're doing. And those relationships sometimes require that we get involved in service so we can grow. And sometimes it requires that we actually get involved in a Bible study or some kind of other class. Or it, it requires that we actually get into a small group where we can actually be together and grow together where we can have some accountability, where we know we're gonna show up, we're gonna commit to that. And then the last thing that we're doing is, for our whole sense of evangelism, we're also working really hard at building bridges. We're working at building bridges into this community, being sort of a central place where people can come and know that they're loved, um, we're working at being having good, good relationships with Lincoln University and with all the different, in fact, Tamani's out right now. There's all kinds of different places where we're trying to spread God's love throughout this whole community, building bridges so that people will know that they're loved. So Jesus is in our midst, and being in our midst, he continues to bring about the life of the church in a way where we can really be um, God's people together. So let's take just a step back for a second. Um, I'd like you to think a little bit deeper about community tonight, today. Uh, did you know that in the New Testament, there are over 50 different passages that they call one another passages? They're passages that talk about the relationships in the church and how it is that um, we've been called to be together. Uh, about a third of those passages out of the 50 talk about the unity of the church and the fact that we are called to be together and we're called to be unified. One of the things Jesus says is they will, they will know you're my disciples by your unity. They'll know that I'm in your midst because of the unity you have. Um, a second, though, sort of third of those passages deal with love. You know, how do we actually love each other? And and how do we share our love with each other and also with the world? And then the last 15 or about 15% deal with um, sort of this attitude of humility. What does it mean to be humble with each other, Um, to put preference towards each other? And then a few others um, are a little random. I'll share those too, but here's just a couple. So in this unity part, it says, um, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Accept one another. Here's one. Don't bite or devour each other. Um, He's really saying in Galatians, be careful because you could chew each other up pretty bad, right? And then he says, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgive one another. In the love section, he talks about loving one another. That's, you know, all over the place. I mean, there's about eight different passages where Paul says, hey, and, and John and others say, hey, love each other. But then he also says, through love, serve one another. Be devoted to one another. In the humility section, he says, regard each other, one another, as more important than yourselves. Be humble in this. Clothe yourself in humility toward one another. And then there's a couple others that we are more familiar with. One of them is bear one another's burdens out of Galatians stimulate one another to love and good works, pray for one another. It's a pretty big thing, you guys. You know, when God says, hey, you're together, you're the church. Uh, Here's the things that I really want to see you do. Live into this life together. So as we're looking at this, I want to sort of, at this point, begin to work backwards or actually make our way through verses 42 through 47. And and sort of glean some of the things that Paul, or excuse me, that um, Luke is writing here for us to learn. So let's start with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers. So there was a sense that they were learning together. The apostles were teaching them, discipling them. Um, they were breaking bread and they were praying together. Those things seem pretty interesting. But what do you think this word fellowship means? You know, I think um, the word fellowship actually sometimes in our Christian vocabulary is a little bit overused and maybe a little bit undervalued. Um, Sometimes what happens is we sort of add this word fellowship onto the end of anything we're doing in the church because we think it just makes it sound better. But, you know, what does that word mean? Some churches have a fellowship hall, right? But by going into that hall, you don't have fellowship right away. It takes two or three to have fellowship. It actually comes from a Greek word, um, the word koinonia, which is used 20 times as a noun in the New Testament. It's translated a number of different ways. It's translated as communion, as contribution, sharing. It's translated as partnership. It's a kind of sharing in the life of Jesus Christ. It's more than just having coffee and donuts It's actually a focus on spiritual matters together. So they were discipled in their fellowship. Luke writes they met for the, the apostles' teaching, they ate together, they prayed together, but makes the emphasis that they also were in fellowship together. They were living for the purposes of God, trying to be who God had called them to be. Verse 43 going on says that awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. There was a deep sense of, of respect, but also this awe that God was in their midst. It was a community that had a purpose aligned with God's mission. And in that, one of the things that we have to discover is that God has a purpose for each one of us. You're not here by accident. This isn't a surprise to God. <coughs> And the fact is that God will equip you. There's no small part of God's kingdom. It all matters. Every person matters. Every person has a purpose. And together, we all contribute to the betterment of each other. So they had this sense of purpose together. Verse 44 says, They all who believed were together. They had all things in common. You know, here's Luke's sort of summary definition of the early church, those first Christians. They had all things in common. They shared their life with others. There was a common goal. They grew together. They were there to stimulate and to grow together. So the problem with this is that sometimes in the midst of fellowship, it's hard to be truthful about our lives. You know, a lot of times what happens in church is we look around and we think, I wish my life was more like that person's life, or I wish my life was more like this person's life, or I wish I was more like them. But the thing that's interesting is that um, we really don't know somebody till we get to know them. We really don't know the pain they feel. And one of the problems oftentimes in church life is that it's easy for us to sort of hide our pain and not be honest about it. But when we're connected then we find safe places where we can talk about our struggles in life. We find safe places where we can be honest about what's going on with us. You know, sometimes we think we're the only one that's hurting, but we're not. We simply are not. Everybody has trouble. Everybody has challenges. And so this community actually enabled them to begin to to support and encourage each other in strong ways. Verse 45 says this, they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were taking care of each other. There wasn't this sense of like, well, prove to us that you need something. Rather, they were going out and they were finding out what the needs were and they were meeting those needs. And And there was a sense of it's okay just to be that kind of body together. Like, You don't need to worry about if you're in need. If you're in need, be honest about it because that's what we want to meet. So everything in our culture, I think, tends to sort of fight um, our connectedness. It fights our sense of fellowship. Have you heard this phrase lately? It's sort of interesting. Now with mobile technology, you know, like our, our phones and that kind of thing, Um, there's a phrase lately called ringsiety. Have you heard of that? So, ringsiety is this. It's a real condition that people experience. It's when you think your cell phone is vibrating, but it really isn't. Instead, it feels like it might be, right? So, have you had that happen? So, this is interesting, isn't it? That, um, you know, here we are, and we've got this whole sort of world that is on our phone. Technology sometimes can be something that can turn us inward rather than turn us outward. And honestly, somebody said it this way. They said, social media is not social. And I thought that was an interesting phrase. uh, Because what it does is it talks to us rather than talking with us. So somebody else said this, that the virtual world is not the real world, right? And yet, we live a lot of our lives in the virtual world. But everything about the church actually calls us to be face-to-face with people, to be in relationship, to be able to see each other, talk to each other, encourage each other. You know, one of the things that's important about community is you can't microwave it. You know, you can't just snap it and it happens. It's something that you've got to build. And one of the things I think that's really important is you've got to build community before the bad times come. Because when you're in the bad times, you're reeling, but you've got community already, then you've got somebody that can support you, that you can lean on. Life change always happens in relationships. So what does this fellowship look like? Let's dive a little bit more, looking at verse 46. It says, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. So there was this big meeting that they were a part of in the temple, and there was a small meeting. They met in the temple and probably in the court of the Gentiles, and then they also met in each other's homes. You see, the temple was a 35-acre building. It included Solomon's porch, and the apostles actually oftentimes preached there. There was a court for the God-fearers, and oftentimes the God-fearers were Gentiles who were not allowed to be a complete part of the temple, so they were invited there, and they would meet there, and a lot of times Peter, Paul, and other apostles would show up there, and they would talk about who Jesus was, and the God-fearers who were already sort of interested in God but not sure how to connect started to learn that these were people that they could listen to. But at the temple, basically you were a spectator, you sort of watched what was happening. It was spectator-oriented. But then they moved from the temple into homes. And in the homes, it was house to house. It was, a, it was informal. It allowed for discussion. It meant that you have something to say, and I need to hear you, and I have something to say, and you need to hear me. They had a chance to discuss things together, and God was close at hand. And so there was a necessity of the small group being participation-oriented. There you could share. You could get real. You could pray with someone. So they had these two things. And we have these two things here, right? So we're in the bigger meeting right now. This isn't the place where we're going to break into small groups. But where's that other smaller group place for you? If you're looking for that, we want to help you find it because it's really important as well. But there's another difference here that I think is worth noting. You see, it used to be that they went to the temple. That's true. Um, In the temple, the presence of God was available. People knew that God inhabited the temple, and that's where they went. But now, this early church, these new believers, had become the temple. The Holy Spirit had indwelled them. And Paul would say that you are now The temple of the Holy Spirit. So remember this the church is never a building, it is always a people of God. It is God's people. So here's another sort of question Um, So, when does fellowship happen? Well, I think that's really up to us because the reality is you can sort of walk in this door and walk past people, never really connect with anybody unless you decide you want to get intentional about it and pursue it. Um, There can be, you know, sort of a superficial attachment to a place, but until somebody says, no, I want to be a part, like I want to actually be a part of what's going on, that's when things start to change. They had this sense of intimacy of fellowship. It's easy to slip in and out, to really not even see anybody, say hi to anybody, to sort of avoid all kinds of human contact and interaction. But there's really nothing like committing yourself to a local body and really saying, hey, I understand now that I'm supposed to be a part of what's going on here. The Bible says this um, over and over throughout the Old Testament, that if you want to have friends, be a friend. So you're welcome here. You can have fellowship here. You can join a community. You can be a part of this body of believers there was an intentionality and a commitment to their community together. In fact, 47 says that they praised in God, they having goodwill to all the people, and day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So looking back 2,000 years, it's a little bit hard to imagine the excitement and the newness of all that was happening there. The closer you are to the inception of something, the more tied into its purpose you are. And it becomes an ongoing challenge for every local church to keep fresh what it is that God is doing in their midst, because it's easy to forget what God's up to, and it's easier to start going through the motions. It's easier to do church than it is to be church, but being church is what makes a difference in our lives. I was at an Episcopalian church in Los Angeles years ago when I was in seminary, and um, And the Episcopalian church does church big, right? So they have a processional, they come out with the crucifix, they walk down the center aisle, and in this particular church, um, the altar boy who was carrying the crucifix down the center aisle stopped all of a sudden, and he dipped the crucifix like this, took about four steps forward, and then lifted it back up and went up and put it up on the altar. And we were all sort of wondering what that was about. And so after the service, we started asking some of the members, hey, why do you guys, why do you dip the crucifix, you know? And, and um, it was a funny deal because we, you know, nobody knew. I mean, nobody knew why they did it. And, and finally they said, well, you know, you probably have to ask John that because John's the oldest member here and he probably knows why we do that, but we don't know. And so um, we hunted down John and John said, oh, he said, hey, that's a funny story. He said, he said you know, 30 years ago, there used to be a big chandelier right there, and if you didn't dip the crucifix, you ran right into it. But they had made that a part of their weekly worship. Isn't that funny? So, so here's the thing. Like, how do we get back to who it is God wants us to be? How do we live into that? In this new community that Jesus has sprung to life, they are now doing remarkable things. There's remarkable things happening. So this is a good thing for us. What would happen if all of us were in a group? What would happen if all of us were active in the body? You know, there's one person that said this, that, that if just one church, if there was only one church left, but everybody there was fully in, saying yes to all God wants, that church could change the world. And I think that that's true. The church is the hope of the world when Christ is right at the center, leading us all into new territory and spreading God's word. Jesus calls us out of the death and destruction of this world to bring life to people. He calls us out of our own self-centeredness to actually take everything we have and share it with others. He calls us to demonstrate God's love to those who have yet to know that God exists, let alone that God actually cares about them. He calls us into the hell holes of this world, to spread good news, to free the prisoner, feed the hungry, all the time inviting people by the grace of God to join us, to come and be a part of this resurrection parade where we're rehearsing and going through the fact that God has forgiven us and is leading us into new life, to find forgiveness for the past, but also to live into God's hope for the future. For years um, at home, my family and I played this game. You've played it before, you know, when you put your hands together like this, actually, you're supposed to do it this way. It, it goes like this. It goes, you know, here's the church and here's the steeple, right? And then you open up the church and there's the people. And we used to do it like this. And when we'd open up, there weren't any people. And we'd laugh about that, you know. Or my daughters would sometimes say, do it like this. And they'd say, oh, they're up on the roof. Like, and they always said, we should have church on the roof sometime, right? And, but you know what? Um, we are the church together put your hands together for a second if you want and just look at your hands because here's what you're what you're seeing these are the hands of the church you are the church the church is not a building the church is the people and so Paul or excuse me Luke writes this and sort of summarizes it he says in verse 47 they were praising God having the goodwill of all the people and day by day, the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. God is the one who's in charge of the church. The church belongs to God, but God invites us by grace to be a part of it. It's the same thing when we come to the communion table. I'd like to invite the band and also invite the, um, the communion servers to come forward at this time. It's the same thing when we come to the communion table that God actually does for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. So today, this table is set for you. You're invited to come. If it would be helpful for you today to um, have a gluten-free offering, there is a gluten-free station right over here you're invited to come to. Um, You're simply going to be dismissed by row by one of the ushers, and then you're invited to come and simply take a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, and then eat it, and then return to your seat. So Jesus calls us friends because he is inviting us to do life with him. And the fact is, we're all broken. You know, I love our sign out front that talks about, you know, everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything's possible. That's the truth for all of us. We're all broken. We can't fix ourselves, but Jesus, by his grace, can fix us and walk with us. 1 Corinthians 11 has an interesting sort of twist to it. It says... um, Before you come to the table, take a moment to examine yourself. And in that examining, sometimes one of the things that's good to do is to think about, is there somebody that you're at at odds with? Maybe someone who you need to apologize to, or maybe someone you need to say you're sorry for, something you've done, somebody that you need to make amends with. Um, All of these things help us to continue to be a healthy body together. So today I want to give you a moment... um, before we start in the prayer, to just sort of take a moment to examine yourself, to just say to God, here I am, God. Is there anything in my life that you want me to be aware of? Anything that you want me to do differently? To listen to God for a moment, and then I'll invite us to come up. When um, we have a chance to think about this, and when we have a chance to enter into this, we're entering into the story of who Jesus is. The fact that he, with his disciples in the upper room, took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks to God for it and then he broke it and he said to them, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat this and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after they'd eaten the bread, he took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant which is poured out of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink of this and do this also in remembrance of me. These are God's gifts for the people of God. So let's pray together, and I'm going to allow us a little bit of silence to sort of think about what God may be saying to us, and then you are invited to come as the ushers dismiss you row by row. Let's pray. jesus we thank you that you always hear our prayer and that you always answer them and so today as we come to this table we are grateful for your love your care and your your continued love for us God, we pray that you will meet us here in the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the juice that we'd be reminded that we are your people, your church, um, the bride of Christ that you gave your life for so that we can have life. And so we give you thanks today in Jesus' name, amen. The table is set, you're invited to come.